Greetings, Sail Baptist Church. It is so good to be with you, even though I'm not quite with you. Um, and I do miss being physically with you, but it is great that I get to um, come to share a word with you this morning um, and be with you in some way, in the, the best way we can know how at this time. Hey, um, I'm kind of missing the idea that maybe Lauren or Beck would have made me a cup of coffee. I'm definitely missing the idea that I would be watching Rob and Brad kind of squirm about you know what I'm going to say next about them so I'm just going to have to imagine that they're squirming just in case you know from their homes right now and um, I'm was going to say I don't miss the four hour drive to get to you but then we're in that season where we kind of miss all the normal things right so I'm kind of missing that too my car's just been sitting quite stagnant in my driveway for a lot of days doesn't know um, what's hit it but as I would often do or always do I bring greetings from the BUV resource hub and we are all still functioning albeit from our homes and remotely right now adapting like the rest of you and and can I just say that we have just been so impressed by how quickly the churches have pivoted and adapted to this changing landscape and there's just so much um, required of church if we want to keep this sort of community thing happening isn't there but how grateful are we to all the tech teams and people that make this sort of thing possible but um, we're still working just to help churches connect with one another we want to be able to facilitate resources and support and getting people to share things across our church family so we've been um, just pressing into that space and meeting together and all upskilling in zoom and teams like everybody else has been doing but I'm really grateful that this morning we get to gather around the word we're going to be looking at a bible story that is one of my favorites and it's about King Jehoshaphat. If you've got your Bibles you could open to 2nd Chronicles chapter 20. So Jehoshaphat was a good king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He reigned for 25 years and one of the hallmarks of his ministry uh, or his kingship was that during his reign uh, Judah did not fall to pagan practices or other religions like Israel had or like the other kings of Judah had before or after him. So biblical commentators describe him in glowing terms as a, a hero of, of the faith. They note, as does the text, that you know his devotion to God and the fact that despite all his weaknesses and his shortfallings, he remained dedicated to God. He sought the God of his father and followed his commands. So this morning I want us to focus on a significant part of his story. As I said, it's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And if you've never read this story before, you're in for a treat because it's brilliant. But if you have, I pray that you would get a fresh revelation, there's fresh eyes to see it so that we would be all encouraged and, and a little bit challenged by this story as we read through it. It's so rich and it has so much to teach us. So let's start at the very beginning. Why? because it's a very good place to start. So verse one says, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Muonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is approaching, coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. 
surprise, you are under attack. Armies are on their way. And I love how the text said, alarmed. Yeah, well, that could be a little bit of an understatement, as you would be if you hear that three armies are on their way to attack you. But in that alarm, Jehoshaphat resolves to inquire of the Lord. We can just stop there for a moment and just let that hit us. Under attack, outnumbered, total sitting duck, what would you do? Now, some of the things that come to my mind are panic, uh, freak out. Um, you do that whole like to the bunker and like run away, you know, kind of like engage the royal escape plan or something like that. But instead, Jehoshaphat resolves to inquire of the Lord. He determined that his response would be to find out what God's response is. What, is, what are God's plans here? He turned first to God, you know, for his guidance and his comfort and his peace and his leading his rescue, his deliverance, his protection. And that is a whole sermon in and of itself, isn't it? Just done. Resolve to inquire of the Lord. Those of you, all of us who are facing big challenges right now, job insecurity, financial uncertainty, um, health difficulties, relationship challenges, you know, whether the whole family is going to be able to make it through this whole time living together, questions and concerns about what the future looks like for us, feeling under, under attack in some way or at least overwhelmed. Jehoshaphat's story comes right off the bat to tell us, to remind us to seek first the kingdom of God to look to God and to his plans and his righteousness and his sovereignty that we would resolve in our heart to make this our response. And it says in the text that Jehoshaphat goes on to lead the people of Judah into a time of prayer and fasting. From verse 4 it says that the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Again, I think that's another surprise. Like he didn't gather them all together and say, right, let's strategize. Let's put our heads together and let's work out what we're going to do about this. He says, come on, everybody, let's pray. It's this beautiful picture of people gathering from far and wide to seek help from the Lord together. It says later in verse 13 that all the men of Judah with their wives and children and the little ones stood there before the Lord. It's an important thing here because often women and children are not included in the count. You think of feeding the 5,000, it was 5,000 men and then we sort of estimate what the rest of the group was. It's telling us here that the women and the children and the babies were all there. It's a significant thing. I think this is trying to underscore for us that absolutely everybody was involved in this gathering and was praying. And so then Jehoshaphat leads them in prayer. From verse 5 he says, Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and he said this, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. O oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the, de to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we'll cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt, so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance." 
Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I think it's a surprise again here of what he prays. He like, I think my prayer would be more like, help, <laughs> save us. Or sometimes our prayer in these situations is like, why us? Or where are you, God? Why aren't you saving us, rescuing us from this? How come this has come our way? But instead he prays, you are God and you are good and you are faithful and you said you'd protect us. So this, then this beautiful line, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's such a powerful statement. And ultimately, it's probably all we ever need to pray <laughs> because innate in that statement is a, a declaration of who God is. It represents this deep trust that in the fact that God knows what to do. You know, we don't know what to do. You do. That's why our eyes are on you. You know, and I think also another little surprise here is it's quite um, a display of leadership humility here that he gathers everybody together and rather than saying, don't worry guys, we've got this sorted, we're gonna go back and do our thing and make the things happen with the stuff, he says, actually, we don't know what to do either. And But it's not a thing of panic for the people, it's this drawing everybody together, we do though know that God has a plan here and so we're gonna to look to him. Again, let that just wash over us a bit this morning. Those points of difficulty or concern in, in this current season for you, what, you know, what comes to the top of your mind? What's the, the, the place where you say, we don't know what to do? You know, those places that require a wisdom you don't seem to have or um, you know, to make decisions that you um, are wrestling with or those circumstances that require a level of patience or endurance that you don't feel capable of or those overwhelming situations where you don't even know where to begin to make sense of them or let alone find a way through it. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Instead of looking inward to ourselves or even around us to find something that will rescue us, we lift our eyes to you. It's so profound. And Jehoshaphat leads all of Judah in this prayer. He draws the hearts and the eyes and the attention of all the people to God. He doesn't pretend he hasn't sorted, but he anchors the hope and the confidence of the people in the fact that he knows who does. <laughs> and in the midst of this, God brings the answer to Jehoshaphat's prayer by um, way of a prophetic word from a, a young man named Jehaziel. And his response is here in verse 15, where it says that, uh, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And there's something we all need to be reminded of from time to time or all the time, isn't it? That it's not our, our fight, it's God's. And so it's not then our strength that we fight in anyway, it's his. But then he goes on and he says in, in verse 16, Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Juriel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. I mean, that's a great word of encouragement um, and peace 
to Jehoshaphat and to all the people of Judah. But it's also pretty bizarre if you think about it, because surprise again is if you read that kind of back carefully and, and think it through a little bit more, you'll see that the battle strategy is that Judah is not going to fight. So here's our plan of attack, guys. Don't attack. <laughs> you won't have to fight. Just stand in place, God says through Jehaziel. Stand in place and I'll do the rest. Again, imagine yourself in that position and maybe you've even been in that position when you've sought God for something and he's given you this answer. Like for me, I'd be like, okay, so here's a plan. Yeah, no, don't know that that really was an actual plan, God. I'm, few details lacking in this but let's see Jehoshaphat's response verse 18 it says Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all of the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down to worship before the Lord then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korites stood up and praised the Lord the God of Israel with a very loud voice they were grateful that God had responded. You know, even if they may not have understood it all, they just received his word and this affirmation to not be afraid and, and to take courage. And they rested in it. The next line in the text says the next morning. So it's they just got this message praised in song and then went to bed and had a good old sleep. <laughs> and when they did get up, this is what Jehoshaphat had to say in verse 20. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa, and as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. Jehoshaphat appoints men to lead out in worship. The worship band goes first. <laughs> Can we just picture that for a second? There are three armies attacking and they're already on the move. They're already engaged in their attempt to invade Judah. Um, God has clearly told Judah that they're going to win the fight, but they're not actually going to fight the fight. <laughs> and so the worship team leads them out literally to the edge of a blind cliff. We know the other armies are coming up on the gorge and coming up a pass and Judah is walking towards this without vision of what that actually looks like. I don't know, at some point I'm going to see like everyone sort of marching that way. He was like, oh no, after you. Oh no, I insist, after you. No, I'm right behind you. And then, you know, the worship team are like, you sing the lead today. I'll just be singing back up from way back over here but listen to what happens it's incredible it's seriously incredible verse 22 as they began to sing and praise the lord set ambushes against the men of ammon and moab and mount seir who were invading judah and they were defeated the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked out on the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. The armies had killed each other. <laughs> God had set ambushes amongst them. That is to say that each of them thought that there were people hiding in the bushes and sneaking up behind them from the other armies. And so everyone starts jumping at their own shadows and trying to work out what the heck was going on. Ammon and Moab decided it was probably those snakes from Mount Seir. And so they together destroyed that army. But then there was still sort of this tension that didn't work. And so then they go about destroying each other. So when the men of Judah get to the edge of the cliff, they look over and there's everyone's dead. Like I have this 
image of the last two men standing. I don't know how they, who decided who died first. They'll probably like, anyway, that's just my imagination. But can you imagine that? <laughs> this incredible victory, this impossible victory at the hand of God. They just prayed, they slept, they worshipped, and they waited. But then there's more because they got to enjoy all the spoils of victory. They got to um, go into each of the army's camps and take all of their equipment and weapons and clothing and supplies and anything else of value. And it says there was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it all. And on the fourth day, they came together to praise God and to celebrate this victory and the deliverance that he had brought them. And the army returned um, to Jerusalem and they worship in the temple and they lead the rest of the nation in celebration and praise. As you can imagine, it'd be quite the party to, to do that. But then there's still more, this final kind of piece of the, the story that is just such an incredible thing. In verse 29, it says, The fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the, other, of the countries, when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. Uh, you can imagine that, can't you? Word gets out that Judah manages not only to hold back being invaded and overcome by three armies, but they demolished all three of those armies. No one is left standing. And now they've increased their, phys their physical wealth and resource because of all the plunder that they've taken. And they've not had to expend any physical resource. They haven't had to use weaponry or, or sacrifice lives or even all the you know, food and whatever that would have taken to go out into battle. They've spent nothing and gained everything. So these guys are now on, you know, they're the top of the pops in army land and the people around surmise correctly that it was because God was on their side and that God fought for them. This is the God that they worship and serve. You know, he has really come through for them. I don't think we want to mess with that. And so just as Jehaziel said, the battle wasn't theirs, but the Lord's. Like, I mean, it's like other stories, isn't it? Like the torches and trumpets of the story of Gideon or the little boy and the single stone against Goliath and many other examples that we see all through scripture. Um, God just designed the circumstances of this so that it was abundantly clear that it was all about God and nothing to do with the activity or the achievement or the ability of, of man. There was no one in Judah, in the army or within the kingdom, who would have had any doubt that the only reason they won the battle was because of the hand of God. Except maybe the soloist who thought she'd just like, like kill a solo and just slay them all. Everybody else knew that it was only God that made this possible. You know, this story has so much to teach us, doesn't it? So much to show us and challenge, challenge us with. Jehoshaphat resolves to inquire of the Lord. He believes the word of the Lord, even when it doesn't make much sense, and he trusts in it. And the army of Judah follows God into an unseen and uncertain future. They literally walk to the edge of a blind cliff. And God brings a miraculous win, an impossible win. I mean, to use Jesus' own words to summarize this, he says in Mark 10, verse 27, that with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I'd love to pray for us as we conclude our time together this, this morning, but... 
I think this story just, it reminds us that something about our faith calls us to respond surprisingly, doesn't it? You just surprise the world with how we respond in difficult times. You know, to expect the unexpected in terms of how God will move or act in a situation. Um, it calls us to be obedient to surprising instructions. It calls us to have a surprising level of peace. It also calls us to have a surprising level of humility. We don't know what to do. <laughs> but it also reminds us that in Christ we get to walk in surprisingly miraculous victories. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for this um, timely reminder from your word of the fact that you are always in control, that nothing surprises you. Even though we might be constantly surprised, nothing surprises you. And therefore, God, nothing is outside of your capacity to, to carry us, to guide us, to comfort us, to lead us, to protect us, to encourage and inspire us, and to show us in incredible ways your love and your faithfulness and your goodness towards us. Father, I pray for each one who is listening to this message today. God, each one who is walking through their own battle at this time, each one who's facing things in, you know, just circumstances that, that are just impossible to imagine, impossible to understand. But God, you see and you know, and even in our surprise, you are not surprised. And you call us to, to not be fearful, to to be at peace and you call us to experience your calm in amongst the chaos so father would you just challenge us all afresh this morning we don't know what to do but you do and so we look to you we resolve in our hearts to inquire of you we want to be those who would go first to prayer who would turn to you first rather than relying on anything else that we might think can help us Father, would you bless each one, I pray. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys.